0: Good morning. Uh, Just in case you're not already there, please do go ahead and go to Exodus chapters 1 and 2, please. Second book of the Bible, Genesis and then Exodus, as Pastor Ray was just reading. Exodus chapters 1 and 2. We do have these books available, by the way, let me just say that very quickly, Praying the Bible by Don Whitney. We were looking at this for about a month or so on Wednesday evenings. You can see me if you want one of these books, we've got plenty, or you can grab one out of the bag up here. I think it'll be an encouragement to you, simple but in some ways profound book. So this morning, let's think about this title. So what happened after Joseph, Providence and the Exodus? providence, and the exodus. So what happened after Joseph? Exodus chapter 1 and chapter 2 through verse 10. Now, Pastor Ray read Exodus 2, 1 through 10. If you'll glance back with me at chapter 1 and let me read for now, verse 15, beginning at verse 15 of Exodus chapter 1. We have a feast as we always do. In the word of God this morning. Exodus chapter 1, verse 15, brothers and sisters says Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other Pua, When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him, but if it is a daughter, she shall live. But, in verse 17 of Exodus 1, But the midwives, what? Feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, He gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, verse 22, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile. This verse makes us think of Matthew chapter 2. But you shall let every daughter live. This is the Word of the Lord. Let us pray together. Would you join me in prayer? Take a very brief moment of silence. Maybe we could use that for a brief time of confession of sin. Or just to pray for the preaching of the Word. Let's pray. Lord, we look with expectation and with joy and happiness now as we come to your word. We pray, as the hymn says, that you would speak, O Lord. Speak to us through your word. We're reminded of what Martin Luther said, that we should not choose the way of power, but the way of weakness, because we do have a risen Lord Jesus, but our salvation is bound up with his resurrection and with the crucifixion. And so we see the way of weakness is your way. So, Lord, we do not run away from our weakness this morning. We want to, uh, even with your help, embrace our weakness. And We pray, Lord, that we would never lose sight of a crucified Messiah. And we also pray for your power through the Holy Spirit this morning. Come and do what I cannot do at all. Lord, what you alone can do. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Say that again. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. Hebrews 3, for Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our, conf- our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Can we disobey the authorities? Don't answer out loud, but do answer. Specifically, you know, I'm, I'm talking about as Christians. Can we as Christians disobey the authorities? With your place uh, in Exodus, keep your place in Exodus. Please look with me in the book of Acts. Book of Acts chapter 7. And I want you to remember that question this morning. Can we as Christians disobey the authorities? Acts chapter 7 verse 17 says this. Acts 7 17. Hint, hint. Here's the whole story this morning. But as the time of the promise drew near... Which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive. This is a summary of the story of the Bible, a summary of the story of Israel. Verse 20, at this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight. And he was brought up for three months in his father's house, and when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. So that's Acts chapter 7, verses 17 through 22. That's a summary of our story today, friends. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 29. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men, Exodus chapter 2, Exodus chapter 2, I'll remind you again of our, of our text is Exodus chapter 1 and then chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 and again our titles, so what happened after Joseph, Providence and the Exodus, the first thing that we want to see this morning is Moses. The first thing that we see is Moses. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. Exodus chapter 2, verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, or it could be translated when she saw that he was good. Or what did it say in Acts? Do you remember what it said in Acts? It's okay to say this about a male baby. He was beautiful. She saw that he was a fine child. She hid him three months. When she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes bulrushes, and daubed it with bitumen or bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. The boys and girls, here's what happened i going to go ahead and say what the text does not yet say. The text does not yet say Moses. But that's the first heading that we're looking at. first heading is Moses. The second heading is going to be women. But the first he- heading is Moses. And at this time, the text has not yet told us his name, boys and girls, but Moses' sister goes along the bank of the Nile, and she looks to see what happens. Get this. What happens to Moses in the miniature ark? Now, all of the Bible fits together. And we're in the second book of the Bible. And, of course, what's one of the main things that happens in the first book of the Bible? Well, Noah and the ark, right? Well, this is like a miniature ark. And so Moses' sister goes by to see what will happen to three-month-old Moses in his little tiny ark that his mother had made for him. And so we remember, if you remember what we read earlier, that Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had issued this decree. Remember the last verse of chapter 1, which I said, by the way, reminds us of Matthew chapter 2, and another king, King Herod, reminds us of another deliverer, King Jesus. But in the last verse of chapter 1, Pharaoh had told his people... If the Israelites have a male baby, then here's what, you, here's what you need to do. You need to throw him into the Nile. And so Moses' mother looked and saw that the baby that she had just given birth to was beautiful. It was a male baby, and she feared God. She did not, in one sense, in one sense, she didn't care about the king's edict. Because she feared God. And so for three months, until until she could just simply no longer uh, protect him. Until it it just really wasn't possible. As you can imagine, is how desperately she wanted to keep her baby boy. She did so for three months against the law, right? But at three months' time, it was no longer possible to hide this this growing baby boy. And so she builds this little ark, and the sister goes and looks to see what will happen. Of course, of course, mama hopes that something good will come of this, that he will not die. That he will not die. So she places the miniature ark in the reeds of the Nile River. And we're told in the story, what? That Pharaoh's daughter, the daughter of the man who said, kill the baby boys, right? Throw them into the Nile. The daughter of that man, is she like her father? No, she's not, right? Because we're told that she finds the basket, she's bathing In the river, her female attendants are walking along the side of the river and she says to one of her female servants, go get that basket for me over there in the reeds. And she gets the basket and she opens the miniature ark and there's a baby crying and her heart is is warmed and she's moved with compassion. She's not like her father. And then there's the sister and it's just like, wow, I mean, you can't get better stories than in the Bible. And Moses' sister is there on the bank, right? You Remember what Pastor Ray read? And what what good thinking from this young girl. She goes to Pharaoh's daughter, who's obviously kind of entranced with this baby. Oh, look, it's a Hebrew baby. How sad, how sweet. I want it to be my own son. And Moses' sister says, should I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse him, to be his wet nurse for you? Yes. Yes, that would be great. Moses' mother comes to Pharaoh's daughter. Here, let me, I will pay you. I will pay you to to nurse your son. That's not what it said, right? But that's what the story. I will pay you to nurse this baby for me. And she called him Moses because she drew him out of the water. Heading number two. Heading number one is chapter two. Okay, Chapter two, Moses. Heading number two is women. Look with me at chapter one. Look again at verse 15. What's our second heading? It is women. And this is chapter 1. Verse 15. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other Puah, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and you see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. Of course, we today confess that infanticide and abortion, these things are murder and they're evil. Um, go back to verse 8 for just a moment. For just a moment. Look at verse 8. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Do you see that? Joseph, Genesis 37 through 50. The story continues. There arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And I'm not going to read right now verses 9 and following, but what happens is this man, listen, he's fearful, but we as the people of God do not need to be fearful. You know, it's actually the unbelievers, including people in high places, who are gripped by fear. And you know, it's actually the people of God who trust in Jesus Christ where perfect love casts out fear, 1 John says. Perfect love casts You know, we as the people of God do not need to be fearful. But what we see here is that this new Pharaoh, this new king who who, uh, came on the scene, he did not know Joseph, and he was fearful. Why was he fearful? He was fearful because... Because, ultimately, because God was keeping his promise to Abraham. God was keeping his promise. What do I mean? God was granting them in in numerous, multiple descendants. So the people of Israel were multiplying like grasshoppers, right? You know, so people say that, you know, there's been an uptick in babies ever since COVID and because of COVID. Well, whatever it is, it's, it's the providence of God, That in Egypt, which is not their promised land, the people, because of God's promise to Abraham, Genesis chapter 12, were just multiplying and multiplying, and the king of Egypt said, this isn't good, this isn't going to be good. The main thing he was afraid of was that they would leave Egypt. If you read the text, that's the number one thing he's afraid of, but he's also afraid that, man, they're, they're so large. They're going to join with our enemies, they're going to go against us, and then they're going to leave Egypt, and we can't have that. And so he begins, to, he begins to take these measures, and every measure that he takes, listen to me, because he is going ultimately against the plan of God, it does not work. And the people continue to multiply, even though he continues to try to wipe them out. And so he says to these two women, he says, here's what I want you to do to the two Hebrew midwives, you know, you, you know doulas and midwives, he says to them, when the, when the women, when the Hebrew women are on the birth stool, when it's time, when it's time, you if it's a male baby, you kill it. Okay, midwives? And they did not do it. They feared the Lord. They feared the Lord. They did not fear the edict of the king. And so the, what does Pharaoh do, right? He says, hey, come here. What are you doing? Why are you not killing the male children like I, I told you? I told you, when the Hebrew women are on the birth stool, and if you see that it's a male child, then kill them. Why have you not been doing what I said? I am the king of Egypt, uh, you know, right? Oh, oh, well, Mr. King, we have a perfectly good explanation for you. You see, the the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. Question, are they telling a bold-faced lie? Are they telling the truth? Is it somewhere in between? When they answer to Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, when they say, oh, well, we can't help it. We can't help it. The Hebrew women, the babies come out like that. They're strong. They're vigorous. They're not like the Egyptian women who watch soap operas all day and need help and need all this. No, they're ready to go. And so by the time we get there, the baby's born. And I guess, I guess what, what it's saying is we would never, you know, commit clear infanticide. I guess it's kind of what the implication is and he seems to believe it. And so and so again I say, are they telling the truth? Come on. No. <laughs> no, they're not telling the truth, right? Are they are they telling a straight up lie? Maybe. Are they telling something in between? Maybe. And so it gets to the point. Well, let's not forget that the Lord blessed the Hebrew midwives. It says two times that they feared the Lord. You know, today in 2022, Today, it's actually Christians who do not need to be paralyzed by fear. Today, in the times in which we're living, no, 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 no. in the times in which we're living today, to where if you're a thinking Christian at all, you see, man, things are not going well. Let's be honest. And I'm not just talking about political party, whatever. I mean, things are somewhat bleak in some ways. Could they get worse? Oh, absolutely. Are things good right now? Not not really. Not really. It's actually actually the people of God who, who do not need to fear. And it's the unbelievers in high places. And it's unbelievers who are gripped with the fear of death. This is why we need to share the gospel. This is why we need to share the gospel, my friends, because unbelievers are to be, in one sense, in the fullest sense of this word, pitied, because they are gripped by the fear of death. My friend, you do not need to be gripped by the fear of death this morning. You don't have to be gripped by the fear of death. Instead, you can trust in the one who died on the cross as your substitute who conquered death. You can trust in the one who conquered sin and the grave and death. He's conquered death. He's risen from the dead. And the unbelieving world is a world in fear. It's a world of reaction. It's a world of sinful reaction. And we say, how could you? look at Look at these silly we might even say look at these stupid sinners they're so awful and wicked but it's a it's a it's a reaction out of fear so many times right because they need to know the lord they need to know the one for whom they were created and so we need to we need to share the good news this season and we need to be think, thinking about people who are gripped with fear and 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 you here today i'll say it again you do not have to live in fear you need to trust in the lord jesus christ today does that mean if you become a Christian, you'll you'll never have fear again? No, but the scripture is plain. Perfect love casts out fear. Now, this second heading is women, right? It's women. Why do I say that? Well, again, look at verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra and the other Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women, well, there's women as well, right? The Hebrew women who were women with child. Verse 17, look, look at the, the example for us today. Consider the example. Ladies, men, boys, girls, consider the example of these women. Verse 17, but the midwives, what? Feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them. You do know the Bible teaches Christians that we are to obey the authorities. You do know that, right? It's very clear in the Bible that we are to obey the authorities. Verse 17, I read it. The midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. Praise God. Verse 18. So the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives. Now it's not a tit for tat. It's not that you do this for God and He will deal well with you. But if you are God's child by grace, If by sheer grace you are God's child and you fear God, God will deal well with you. That may mean your whole life is characterized by suffering. It may mean your whole life is characterized by suffering. God will deal well with you. You who fear the Lord, take heart today. You who fear the Lord, do not dismay. Do not give up. Do not dismay. Do not be paralyzed by fear with the help of God, with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. What does it say again in verse 20? So God dealt well with the midwives. And it's like, you know, it's like the book of Acts. Persecution and the church grows. And the same thing was true with Israel. The people multiplied and grew very strong. We're going to squash them. We're going to put them down. You're not gonna. You're not going to thwart God's plan. You're not going to thwart God's promise. You're just not. Verse twenty-one. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people: every son that is born to the Hebrew, this is it. This, I mean, none of this other stuff has worked. We're going full bore. Every son that is born of the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. By the way, second heading, women, obviously pertains to chapter 2 as well, right? Chapter 2 has been called Three Women and a Baby. Who are the three women in chapter 2, right? The lady who is not like her daddy, Pharaoh's daughter, who takes Moses as her son, Moses' mother, and Moses' sister. Three women and a baby. Do you see? Now, of course, you know, right? You know that in the Bible, uh, that in these, in these times, and also in New Testament times, there's some ways in which women were seen, listen to me, seen to be as second-class citizens. But what do we see here? What do we see here in the Word of God? We see these three women and a baby in chapter 2. We see these Hebrew midwives, and they feared God, and, they, and in chapter 2, they preserved the deliverer. Moses' mother, she did not care, in one sense, about the edict of the king. She kept him alive, and she put him in the little baby ark. And Moses' sister, how cool is that? And Pharaoh's daughter. Moses, chapter 2, women, chapter 1, and chapter 2. What is all this? It's fine and good to talk about Moses and to talk about women. I hope you see the story. But I want to remind you again of the title. So what happened after Joseph, Providence, and the Exodus? When you're in the book of Exodus, you're looking at the most beautiful and great picture in the Old Testament of God's salvation of His people. It ultimately comes in the first 18 chapters of the book of Exodus. And it is a picture of of our greater redemption through Jesus Christ. It is a picture of the greater work of salvation that Jesus did on the cross to rescue us from sin and hell and from the wrath of God. But it is a very strong picture in the book of Exodus. It's called the book of Exodus, but it's also an event, right? The title of the book is Exodus, but the reason the book is called Exodus is because the event is what's important. What's the event? The event is the Exodus. It's when God brought His people out of slavery by the hand of a chosen deliverer and brought them into the promised land to live forever. You see, in Exodus chapters 1 through 18, I'll say it again, God, bring, God brings His people out of a land which they did not ultimately belong. He brings them out of Egyptian slavery. He brings them through judgment to His place by His deliverer. Now, I want you to see the same thing that we see at the end of the book of Genesis. Now, you remember Joseph. What is the book of Genesis? Listen to me. Genesis chapter 50. You remember we're talking about providence. What did Genesis chapter 50 say? Joseph said to his brothers in Genesis 50, 20, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Remember, that famous passage does not teach... It does not say, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. No, it says, you meant it for evil, and God meant it for evil. I want you to see the same thing here this morning. I want us to see this because I want us to worship God. Consider the providence of God. Or let me just say, consider who God is. Do you know God? If you're here this morning and you're not a believer, you need to know God. And we as believers need to behold our God. We need to know God. And the same thing in the book of Exodus as in Genesis. It is this, consider the providence of God. So let me say this to you. I've already given you my two headings and now I really want to drill down. Drill down with me, please. I want to drill down in all of this. We're thinking about what? Considering the providence of God. Consider the providence of God and our obedience to authorities. Consider the providence of God and our obedience to authorities. Can we, can we as Christians disobey the authorities? And you're going to answer that question if you're you're going to be super literal and you're going to say, well, of course we can. That's not my question, you know that. But you're also going to answer it maybe too quickly if we don't know the bible which i've already said says the bible is very clear god is very clear that his people are called upon to obey the authorities listen don't you don't have to turn there listen to acts chapter 4 verse 19 listen to this but peter and john answered them whether it is right In the sight of God, to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. The question I posed earlier is this, Can we disobey the authorities? The answer is, Yes, sometimes we must disobey the authorities. That's the answer. Yes. Not listen, not when we just not when we merely think we, we should or that we can't obey the authorities. Of course you know this. Please hear me. Not when we think we can obey the authorities. When the authorities tell us that we have to obey disobey an explicit command of Scripture, when the authorities that be in this world When the authorities that be in this world tell us as God's people that we must disobey an explicit command of Scripture, then what we actually must do is to obey God. So it's not so much saying, it's not so much, hey, the pastor said today we can sometimes disobey authority. It's how how much do the people of God think about, man, I want my whole life to be one of obedience to God. You see, it's the positive. We always must obey God. That's the thing. We always must obey God. When the authorities that be not only tell us that we must disobey an explicit command, a good command of God from Scripture, we must obey God. When they tell us that we must not preach the gospel, we disobey man because we obey God. We obey God rather than man. Again, it's not free license to say, well, you know, I don't like this policy or I don't like that. The positive thrust is to say, my dear Christian, my dear fellow Christian, is your life oriented through Jesus Christ to say, God, I want to, by your help, obey you in everything. You see, God, I want to obey you in everything. So it's really not a, (laughs) yeah, I get to do this. No, man, that's hard. That's hard. Consider the providence of God and our obedience to authority. I, I think the main thing in this passage here with the Hebrew midwives, right? Okay, chapter 1, 15 through 22, the Hebrew midwives. I think the question of does the Scripture allow us to disobey the authority, I think that's pretty easy. We always must obey God. The question that's not as easy is, what about the fact that, that, you know, maybe they lied? Those questions are related. Do we always have to obey the authorities? Do we always have to tell the truth? They're related, but they're also different. Do you see? And going back to what I said earlier, did the Hebrew midwives tell the truth? I, I mean, can you read this and say that they're telling the truth? I guess you would have to say that the Hebrew midwives were—I don't know—I don't think they're telling the truth. Is what I'm trying to say. You know, if you've been here at all this year, that I've—I uh, have um, appreciated uh, Wayne Grudem's teaching on ethics, and uh, you've heard me talk about that, and he's got a whole chapter. Uh, on ethics, talking about, is it ever okay to lie? And of course, the positive is speaking the truth, right? That's that's the positive, speaking the truth. And so Grudem not only seeks to be very biblical, and you may disagree or agree with him as to how biblical he is on certain points, but he's also just really interesting. And so in his chapter on lying, he talks about things like, uh, you know, some uh, somebody asked him one time, you know, well, what do you do if 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 your wife says, honey, does this make me look fat? You know, or something like that. He talks about things like that. He talks about punctuality. And and again, the reason I'm talking about this is from the text is because we kind of have to deal with that, right? The Hebrew midwives, I personally don't think they're telling the truth. I really don't think they're halfway telling the truth. I think it's mostly a lie. And so Grudem talks about these very practical issues of lying, like punctuality. He said some people are habitually late. Your friend says, I'll meet you at Starbucks for coffee at 11 a.m. on Thursday. You arrive at 11 and wait, and then he walks in at 11.15 or 11.20 with a quick excuse about heavy traffic or something else. He says, in fact, in one of my classes in a recent term, I had a student like that. He habitually came in five or ten minutes after the class had started. I spoke privately to him about it with little result. I expect that habit had been built up over decades. I recognize, he says, that the habit of lateness does not fall into the category of a major sin, such as murder, adultery, or perjury, but it still has some significance. If your friend agreed to meet you at Starbucks at 11 a.m. and did not make a reasonable effort to keep his word, this is a failure in his obligation to be truthful in his speech. After a while, people will begin to doubt whether this person is trustworthy. We should imitate God in all that he says. He is trustworthy in all his speech. In addition, in addition, your friend has stolen time from you because if you knew he was going to arrive at 1120, you would have chosen to do something other than sit at Starbucks and wait for those 20 minutes. In disrespecting your time, your friend did not seem to be following Jesus' teaching. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So again, I just say I find it very interesting. He talks about these practical matters and how you think about whether it be the Ten Commandments or we looked at last week in Colossians chapter 3, do not lie to one another, which goes with this, right? Do not lie to one another. You think about all the practical ramifications, and you realize, friend, that your life is lived before God. And you think, oh, come on, man. Don't make such a big deal about that. I don't care. I don't, you're not going to ruin my day if you're that late to me. The thing is, nobody, nobody considers that you live all of your life before God. Friend, you live all of your life before God. And truth and lying and truth has more to do sometimes. That's just one example. has more to do with what we typically think of. We think of, oh, I, I'm not a liar. Well, maybe, maybe we are. Maybe we need to confess our sins in small ways, which are not so small, right? Because God is holy, and we are not. He is holy, and He alone has given the way of salvation. And it's not by our efforts to try to stop lying or to try to be a better person at Starbucks. No, I think the issue is clear in this issue of lying. Lying as one thing that Pastor Ray said when he read this earlier, remember what Pastor Ray said, this is a narrative, which means it's a story, right? Which which one thing I think that Grudem would say and I think that I would agree with is that we don't just look at this text only and say, well, look at there. And so, therefore, I can lie when the whole Scripture is very clear about this subject. The whole Scripture is quite plain. And in light of what the whole Bible teaches, in light of that then we look at these instances and then we say, well, what about the Hebrew midwives? And we answer and we say, if somebody, I don't care if it's the king of Egypt, tells you that you have to abort babies, you don't ever do that. And, and yes, you could look at it as disobeying them, but what you're doing is obeying God. You're obeying God. Consider the providence of God and our disobedience to authorities. Pray for the persecuted church. Pray for the persecuted church. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. Please look there. Verse 8 of chapter 1. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, and he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. That seems to be the, the thing he fears the most. Chapter 1, verse 11. Therefore, what they do? They set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built, who's they? That's the people of Israel, They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. I want to call you this morning, look at me, I want to call you this morning to follow King Jesus. I want to call you to repent of your sins, and to become, if you are not already, a follower of Jesus. And I want to tell you this. I want to go ahead and give you the whole bill of, bill of sale or whatever. The people of God should expect persecution. The people of God. So listen, not only am I saying, I am saying pray for the persecuted church. But I could say this morning, pray for the persecuted church. And we not think about ourselves. Pray for the persecuted church and prepare to be the persecuted church. Pray for the persecuted church and know this, the people of God should expect persecution. If they hated me, they will hate you. The pe- this chapter 1 is about persecution. Chapter 1 is about persecution. Listen, let me tell you for a brief moment about Gita. Gita has believed in Jesus since she was 11. This is from Voice of the Martyrs. Pat Kime has put Voice of the Martyrs material on the table to the left of the men's room. Gita has believed in Jesus since she was 11, but her parents gave her in marriage to a Hindu man 20 years her senior. She is an active member of a local church despite her husband's opposition. Twice he has destroyed the Bibles given to her by the church and he has beaten her many times for attending church. Earlier this year, he was so angry that he poured poured boiled lentil curry on her, burning her leg badly enough that she had to be hospitalized. The local church paid the medical expenses when her husband would not. On August the 8th, this article I'm reading is from November the 24th of this year. On August the 8th, Gita's husband beat her badly, broke her phone, and destroyed her hymn book when he could not find her Bible. She used a neighbor's phone to inform the pastor of her situation, but since then she has been out of communication. The pastor asks for prayer for Gita and her daughters, ages 7 and 5. The title of the article is this. You can find it on Voice of the Martyrs, Believing Wife Beaten, Burned for Church Attendance. Pray for Gita. She's in Nepal. Pray for the persecuted people of God in Nepal. Pray for the persecuted, or some people call it the suffering church worldwide. Yes, 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 and amen. Suffer with them. Protect them as we can. Doesn't mean that we have to be totally passive. No. No. But what I'm also saying to us, based on Exodus chapter 1, based on the people of Israel, is that the same thing is true For the people of the true Israel, Jesus Christ, if they hated me, they will hate you. The people of God should expect persecution. Friends, we will suffer. Thank you for your patience this morning. I read earlier... I read earlier these words, and I want to challenge you to fix your thoughts on Jesus. I want to challenge you here today to fix your thoughts on Jesus. Therefore, holy brothers, Hebrews 3.1, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, Just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. There's Moses and he's great. There's Moses and I can't reach high enough. Then there's Jesus. And Moses is actually so great. And so pedestrian in comparison jesus christ i said earlier that martin luther talked about these two different ways that you can look at the bible two different ways you can do theology you can have a theology of power you can have a theology of glory or you can have a theology of the cross and we if we follow the lord jesus christ this morning we serve a crucified and risen messiah As Paul might put it, as Paul might put it, weakness is the way. Is there resurrection and is there triumph? Do God's people win? God's people win. God's people win. I will squash them. Can't thwart the plans of God. If God has made an unconditional promise to Abraham, then God will fulfill His promises to Abraham And nothing, not no one, not no how, can ever stop God. He's sovereign over all. He's sovereign over your belief. Follow a crucified Messiah. Listen. Anthony Salvaggio says this. Think about this. Like Moses, Jesus was born at a time when Israel was under the foot of a foreign power. Christmas is coming up, right? Like Moses, Jesus was born at a time when Israel was under the foot of a foreign power. Again, like Moses, Jesus was born when a powerful leader, King Herod, issued a decree to slaughter Israelite male children. Like Moses, Jesus was preserved from this decree by the providence of God and the faithful actions of his parents. Praise God this morning, as we've seen, for godly women and for godly parents. And so what he's doing here, what I just read to you is these three, you could do more probably. I think you could definitely do more. These three comparisons, like Moses, like Jesus, king of Egypt, Pharaoh, king of the the empire at that time, King Herod, like Moses, like Jesus, like Moses, not like Jesus, Moses was God's deliverer. Moses was God's Savior. He rescued God's people. It's only a picture. It's only a picture. Jesus, through His death on the cross, Jesus being the Lamb of God, Jesus being the substitute for us on the cross, Jesus bears the very wrath of God. Jesus Himself delivers His people, as it were, by His own hand, not through the Red Sea. But from sin and death and from, again, I say from the wrath of God, it's one thing for the Red Sea to come on you. Man, that's terrible. Who wants to be drowned in the Red Sea? It's another thing for the wrath of God to come on you, for you to be walking through the Red Sea of the wrath of God and for it to crash down upon you. But Jesus is greater than Moses. Hebrews 3, 1 through 6, the redemption that Jesus accomplished is far superior It's a new covenant. It's a new covenant in His blood. It's a covenant that's better than the old covenant. Because the mediator is better. The mediator is better. Moses was a mediator. Jesus is the one mediator between God and men. The man Christ Jesus. Do you know Him today? This is eternal life to know Him. Jesus the Christ bore the wrath of God in the place of sinners. Listen to me. He bore the wrath of God in the place of sinners on the cross. So the question for you is, are you a sinner? Do you know yourself to be a sinner? If by grace you know yourself to be a sinner, then run to God. Don't wait. Run to Jesus Christ. He will rescue you. He's better than the little ark that Moses' mother made for Him. He's better than the big ark that Noah made. He's better than Moses who led his people through the Red Sea. Jesus is the ark. If you run into this ark, you will be saved eternally. And if you don't, you will perish eternally. Jesus is the mediator. Hebrews chapter 3. He is the mediator that we need. I close with this from Psalm 105. I want you to hear this as we close. It was inappropriate to say or to play with the Bible and say with Genesis fifty twenty, you meant it for evil, but God used it for good. That's not true. I want you to listen to this from Psalm 105. Israel came to Egypt, Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. Psalm 105, 25. Psalm 105, 25. He turned their hearts to hate his people to deal craftily with his servants. Who turned the hearts of the Egyptians to hate his people to deal craftily with his servants? This is not a commentary I read. This is Psalm 105 25. Listen, he, God, He turned their hearts, Pharaoh, Egypt, to hate. His people. God is not the author of sin. The Egyptians were not innocent. Pharaoh is responsible for his sin. You are responsible for your sin. The Israelites were responsible for their sin. God is not the author of sin. Nevertheless, it says plainly, the providence, the providence of God. He, why? Because he loves his son and because he loves his people, And because of Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good. Nothing can thwart God. He turned their hearts to hate his people, to deal craftily with his servants. Oh, no, we would have never chosen that method. For his glory, for the good of his people, for the exaltation of his son, he is over all. Let's pray together. we bow before You and help us to bow before You in truth. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Yes, try us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there be any unclean way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. We thank You for the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank You for the, how the covenant in His blood is better, way better than the old covenant with the human mediator as Moses, as as important as he was. May we see this blood, not the blood of bulls and goats, but may we see this blood shed, the perfect lamb of God. And may we find our salvation in Jesus Christ alone, even today. We pray in his name. Amen.